All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, before we talk about who our guest is, who you can see in the top right corner if you're watching this on the YouTubers, we have the one, the only, Mr. Ranger Nick back in the house. I understand you're on a you know, the prison release thing, they got you on the ankle monitor and you're allowed to talk now? Yeah, yeah, the ankle monitor, I, I wrapped it in tin foil, so I was able to come on the show today. So what I really do appreciate, you took one for the team and, you know, like we, we tried to get the invitation to Elon Musk to come on the show. So maybe you show up in his bedroom in the middle of the night, but, you know, you do what you got to do for the show, right? The show must go on. I, we appreciate your dedication to the cause, sir. Hey, you got you to gotta have dedication in all your endeavors. I mean, he was a little creeped out, but, you know, it's not your fault he pissed his pants and squealed like a girl, right? Yeah, but then after that, we cuddled, and it was nice. <laughs> Until the cops arrived, but, you know, that's, we're not supposed to talk about that. No, no, no. I'll just say I'm on the no-fly list now, and things go. <laughs> you, you've been missed. They've had fans asking if, if you were real, if, if it was a figment of our imagination. So, Oh, that? really? Yeah. Uh, we, to we all like the fans that are listening, uh, I... Yes, I am. I am very real, not a computer simulation. I have been mistaken as a uh, life model decoy, but uh, other than that, no, I'm the real deal. I'm back. All right. And so next, last but not least, we do have the returning Mr. Christopher Rocchio. I probably butchered your last name, so. No, you got it. Wow. No, no, you, you, uh, you've learned. So. I have learned. All right. So you were on our guest recently of the show where we talked about your Dragon Award nominee, um for for 2021 but today we're not here to talk about that so in case people haven't listened to that episode and if you are missing it what are you doing with your life ask yourself that question but but listen to this one first and then go back but in the meantime can you tell us a little bit about yourself rocky uh yeah so i've been uh, writing for well most of my life but i've been publishing since 2018 i've got uh, four books out and uh, i think five anthologies i've edited now short stories uh, and i got more on the way uh, but I guess, uh, you know, not to bury the lead too much, the reason we're here is because I also just started writing comic books. I've got a story coming out in Avengers number 750 uh, from Marvel Comics, which is pretty exciting. Um, outstanding, outstanding. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found them. So a uh, little known fact, I was actually traveling down I-95 and I saw Chris on the side of the road with a sign that says, Will Write for Food. And I felt sorry for him. So I gave him a, a you know, 12-year-old MRE. He didn't die, so he must be made of stern stuff, and here we are. I made it. It was a long haul, but uh, but yes, here we are. So how, how did you find him, Nick? Were, were you also feeding him MRE? As always, through you, dude. I don't even know where you guys asked me that question. Because one of these it's days you're going to surprise through you, us. Through you and Cisco. One of these days you're going to surprise us, and you're going to make something weird up, and we're going to like, dude, our jaws are going to drop. The internet will freeze in place as they just contemplate the awesomeness Okay, well, hold on. Let me see if I can create something right off the top of my head. Okay, uh, Chris showed up on a smuggling vessel coming from Cabo San Lucas. He was just there having a good time, but the people that were on the boat, they were doing some underhanded stuff. You know, so we got to talk, and next thing you know, he's on the show. And I arrested everybody else. That was actually before the uh, the MRE on I-95, so, uh, yeah, we go That's why you look so hungover. Okay, it all makes sense now. (laughs) Oh, he had a great time in Cabo. Uh, all right, Nick, uh, we, we've pried these questions from Seska's cold, dead hands or sleeping, whatever. Uh, but you get to ask the religion questions tonight. 
Oh my, I, I'm honored. And next time I'm on, Siska's probably just gonna verbally smack me around because I took it. Uh, the religion question. Okay, so John Carter of Mars, Galaxy Quest, or Aliens versus Predator? Uh, I'm gonna go John Carter Mars. Uh, that movie gets a bad rap. It's not perfect, love but it. I love the book still. Uh, and a lot of what I've written sort of in that kind of sword and planet vein for sci fantasy. Uh, and so it was just great to finally have anything, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I love that movie. I, I do too. I, I don't think it got, I don't think it should have got the bad rap that it got. I was no, messed up with the marketing. I think they didn't clearly tie it for people who didn't know to John Carter of Mars. They just called it John Carter. I think for the, for the film adaptation where possible, we pick the sci-fi and fantasy that crosses the genre. So film and book. Story. There's a whole book about how it got screwed over. Actually, uh, John Carter and the gods of Hollywood. Like it's a whole saga. Wow. Um, <laughs> No, uh, it had been on my desk when I worked at Bain. It was on the uh, on, on my desk in the office for like three years, and I kept meaning to read it, and I kept forgetting to read it. So, but there's a whole book. Um, but no, the movies the movies great, and of course the you know the books are too. Yeah, uh, I was I was so hoping they would make more of those, but unfortunately, me too. yeah, me too. We don't always get what we want. That's how I felt about Dune. Also, luckily, I'm getting a revamped version of that. Yeah, amen to that. That's. Uh, that's maybe the only film I'm really, really, really excited about right now. So yeah, I gotta wait till October. 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 Yeah, yeah. That HBO subscription is gonna pay off. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> and because we are polytheistic, uh, the Green Knight, the Great Wall, or Aragon. Um, man, that's a that's a difficult one. Are we talking about the new Green Knight? Because I did see that, and while I love the poem, that movie was awful. Uh, it was like the worst <laughs> thing I've seen in maybe 10 years. It was unwatchably bad. Was it uh, that bad? It was awful. It the was premise sounded good. So I was like, it's on my, I want to watch it. Well, so the story is great, right? It's this old Arthurian, uh, you know, myth that's, uh, it's about Sir Gawain, right? And he has a challenge from this weird uh, knight who shows up on Christmas Day. I think actually it's New Year's in the poem, but it's been a minute since I read it. Um, and he, uh, you know, he offers uh, his axe to anybody who can land a blow on him on the condition that he'll return the blow in a year's time, right? But then he puts the axe down and Gawain takes his head off thinking he'll get the axe for free. And um, then the guy gets back up again, carries his head and says, I'll see you in a year, bud. And he has to learn to to face up to, you know, uh, his agreement, right? And to, uh, to lay his life down. But the movie plays it like this weird horror scenario instead of a like medieval Christian morality play. It completely, I hate to say, subverts the themes of the original in the effort, I guess, to be new and interesting uh, or to just be mean-spirited. It's hard to say. Uh, but on top of that, it was just slow. Uh, I would, I, I don't like to, you know, uh, be too negative about these things. This movie was so bad uh, that I, I can't, I can't avoid it. It was just, there's nothing nice to say about it. Um, I was on the fence. I'm, I'm now on the not going to see it. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad to help. There is uh, an 80s movie. I think it's an 80s movie called Sword of the Valiant that's based on the poem. And it's got Sean Connery as the Green Knight. Now, it's also takes huge liberties with the text, but it's way more fun. Um, so uh, and you got Sean Connery, right? So where could you go oh, wrong? Right. So you can't go wrong with Sean Connery. No. So I would watch that maybe instead. Uh, the Gawain in that looks kind of like He-Man. It's really fun. I'm, I'm adding that to the list. We'll scribble that down. Maybe uh, we'll do a review of some of these movies we talk about as an episode. 
but yeah, well, I, I'll still say Green Knight just because the poem is that good. But yeah. Uh, so you know, we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. So, uh, what was your first love of? Was it sci-fi or fantasy? Uh, it was sci-fi. Uh, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV uh, growing up, and I think I told you the story before, Jr. But I, uh, my parent, I was the first kid, so my parents were really careful about what I was allowed to see. My brothers, not so much. Uh, but uh, they would let me watch Star Wars since they'd vetted that in advance. So I watched uh, the laser disc copies of the original trilogy laser to death. Disc. Laser disc. So I had the originals. They weren't Lucas yet. Uh, you know, I mean, more than they were to begin with. Uh, and so I watched those, uh, you know, uh, over and over and over again. And then, you know, we had the VHSs after that. I think I was like the last kid in America who had the unadulterated cut of the original trilogy uh, to grow up with. And, you know, I got into Tolkien and stuff like that and, and into superheroes and stuff later. But Star Wars was really ground zero for me. So the reason I never know what we've talked about, because you have the um, distinction, thanks to Seska, of being the most um, frequent guest of the show. Uh, but not only have you been here the most, you have been aired the least because your last episode we recorded like nine times and it still couldn't make a cut that she didn't disappear. And because her Wi-Fi would go down, it would be like in weird places. So you couldn't even edit it to fix it. That yeah, I remember. That was a mess. That was the bad part about uh, when we used Zencaster because it recorded all of us separately and then wove them at the end. So that meant if somebody like free, like bounced or whatever and they lost it, the, the trying to time everything back in a way that made it coherent was just impossible. Yeah, well, um, but yeah, it makes me you know it makes me it makes me special. So I'll it take does. it. And, and now, as you keep putting out new content, we'll have more reasons to keep having you back. Yeah, no, it'll be fun, and I'm I'm trying to keep it coming. So. So what was your first memory? Was it the um, the um, George Lucas fiasco? Um, was it was there something before that that you remember that was sci-fi? Um, you mean like first uh, like uh, engaging with like sort of uh, the conversation about science fiction or like just my first memory of science fiction in general? Um, well, now that you asked it that way, you can answer both if you want. Oh, okay. Well, that's what I get. Um, I, I think my first memory really is probably just episode four. Um, I, I, if I have to pick something specifically, I remember after I'd seen Empire, because I don't really remember early, early on, I remember my parents held Jedi back for a little while just because, like, it was the last one or something. I don't know. And my mother uh, was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, Darth Vader was his father. Who do you think his sister is? I'm like, well, the only woman in the movies, I guess. But that would be weird. And she's like... Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know, so I remember that. I must have been, like, four. Um, but as far as, as, like, some sort of broader, uh, you know, like, cultural conversation about science fiction or or about, I guess, geek stuff generally, I I don't really know. I uh, Maybe sometime in high school I started getting in on, like, uh, forums and stuff like that, and we'd argue about whatever the hell, but I can't think of anything in particular. But that was, like, immediately pre-social media. Uh, again, I was like the last person on the like forums boat before Facebook and Twitter started uh, blighting uh, humankind. So, so we, we have the distinct privilege and honor of having grown up before everyone filmed everything, including stuff they did that was illegal and then put it on the Internet for people to watch. <laughs> oh, man. I, I've got an uncle that's a cop and he's like, yeah, the first thing we do now is just check their Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure people just post like, oh, you know, I robbed the liquor store today. And like, oh, my God. So, like, people stuff too. We all did, right? Like, we were young men. We we did dumb things. We just I never robbed a liquor store. 
But, well, I never robbed the liquor store, and I also didn't film it when I did dumb things. Oh my gosh! I don't think um, we had the disposable cameras, where you know, like, and you could get a Polaroid, but it was before it was before digital. Imagine if someone like pulls the Polaroid camera out at the grocery store to like film someone misbehaving in public. Uh, well, I say film, but just like snapping Polaroids, they're falling like breadcrumbs in the condiment aisle. Oh my gosh! Oh, wow. I always had one on me because my my dad was like. You know, if you're driving, you want one on you because if you get in an accident, this could save you from getting sued. And I, I mean, now we got it in our phone, so it's probably not a bad thing. But yeah, I always, we yeah. always had one in the car. Yeah. Oh man, it's a different world. It's a different world. Talking about laser discs and Polaroids. This took a turn. <laughs> Time travelers. Yeah. yeah. All right, Nick, it's your turn to save us from. <laughs> uh, what do you love about speculative fiction as a genre? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I really like that it gets to sort of explore less weird stuff that doesn't, you know, really exist and gets to explore things that do exist, but kind of in a symbolic way, right? You know, we can, we can talk about ideas, but like make things uh, more concrete, right? Like, like I, I, I remember I was on a panel at Dragon Con once and I said that vampires exist and everybody like thought I was serious and I was a little like half serious. And I said, well, you know, like most of you've probably dated one and then a bunch of people laughed, right? Uh, but, like, monsters are a really good example of this. Maybe superheroes are, in a sense, too. They're all, like, ideals or not a monster, but, like, heroes are ideals or, or monsters are ideas that we, like, kind of encounter in some way. And by making them more concrete in stories, we get to engage with, uh, you know, those sorts of parts of reality. And I think that's fun. But I also think that it's a way to get away from how boring everyday life is at the same time, right? So you kind of go in both. I'm, I'm kind of pulled in both directions uh, answering the question. But... It, it helps too to have that sort of uh, that sort of break and to get to be the adventurer when you're actually a you know a salary man or something and I think that's fun too. Oh yeah, that's totally. It's, the escapism is is it, it's so helpful. Um, you know, uh, just for fun, but it's also therapeutic in its way. You know. Oh yeah. Because yeah. real life sucks. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, How has its moments, uh, but oh yeah, it does. Like payday but then the next day all the bills come out and then you're like damn it yeah tell me about it oh my god <laughs> all right moving on to the next one how did your love of the speculative fiction genre transition into you writing stories in the wild world of speculative fiction oh i started writing on like the back of my math notes in like second grade just because i uh yeah i wasn't having that much fun in math class um i um was never really like the I, I was never gonna play football let's just say i'm like i'm like five five so I, I just recess was not fun for me i was i was that kid and so you know if we talking like kindergarten first grade we were playing make-believe right we had a friend a friend who was the villain of the week and we'd kill him on fridays uh ritualistically and then he would be a new villain on monday and I used to write, I started out writing down what we did, you know, like chronicling our adventure, you know, in, in first, second grade. And then they all grew up and started playing football or whatever. And uh, I kept at it. And um, so you, my mother can go look through all of my old school notes, which she keeps for some, uh, kept some of for some insane reason. And, you know, it's math problems. And then it's, uh, you know, doodles about fantasy worlds and characters and things on the other side. And I just kept doing that. I finished a book, I think, in like seventh grade, it's not very long and it's not very good, but it was done. And I just kept doing that all the way through college. And then finally, uh, about a month out of uh, college, I sold uh, sold my first book to Daw, which is 
you know, Patrick Rothfuss, publisher, Tad Williams, uh, CJ Cherry, you know, all those folks, uh, part of Penguin. And I've been just going ever since. And then, uh, you know, here I am. So does that make you one of the youngest published authors for them when you started? Uh, I think so. I was 22 when I sold Empire of Silence. It, I was 25 when it came out because traditional publishing is like that sometimes. Uh, I uh, My editor uh, had to go get a new job, and so I was sort of stuck in limbo for a little while. But 22 is pretty young uh, for uh, for trad pub. You know, Christopher Paolini, I think, was 18, but that's sort of an, uh, sort of an exception. And I think there are a couple. I think like uh, Rebecca Kwan is was twenty two as well, or might be someone else. I'm forgetting, but it is it's super unusual. And I think I'm probably the youngest Dawes had, but I'm not sure. Okay. So many authors let their own real life uh, experiences influence the kind of stories they tell. So, were there any formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Was it that uh, that recess experience? <laughs> yeah, that's truly formidable. Uh, you know, I know you guys talk to a lot of like uh, like military vets and stuff, so I always feel like the the again that kid. Uh, like I I remember uh, I think it was my first Dragon Con because I work for Bain, right? Bain publishes a lot of uh, ex military guys, and I'm sitting there with like a Navy SEAL and a guy who was on a, a you know a nuclear sub, and some other guy was a, a brain surgeon, you know. Uh, <laughs> And I just like tweet professionally because I did Bain social media and I just I was, I was very, very much outclassed. Right? I'm like, oh, I, I can read Latin, but that's, you know. So, no, not really. I, it, the last thing that I pull from is my personal experience. My personal experience is waiting tables, which is not, uh, you know, exactly the stuff of, uh, you know, high adventure. Um you know, so I, yeah, I, I wouldn't, it's not really my real life experience. It's, it's reading other people and, and trying to learn as much as I can, mostly outside of the classroom because the classroom's not super useful for learning I've found, but uh, uh, it, yeah, not my life at all. <laughs> so I don't know. I think you can learn a lot about humanity by watching them working at uh, retail type stores. Oh, sure. But uh, not, uh, not the sort of stuff you want to, you want to write adventure stories about. <laughs> You, you find a lot of people um, you can make the bad guys, though. Oh, that's true. Uh, you know, you definitely do at least get an education in the banality of evil. <laughs> but that's maybe uh, maybe the the furthest I could stretch my life experience. Um, so this is this is where we get to again break with tradition, and we have the fandom questions that Seska goes all giddy about, and we're not letting her ask them because we didn't even invite her on the show. But uh, oh, let's she's not going to like that. No, she's not. We won't tell her till it's already out. It'll be too late. So transitioning okay. from the writing side, let's talk about things from the fan angle. So it's been a while since we've had gotten to ask you this question, but have you gotten any cool fan art or cosplay your characters yet? Uh, no cosplay. I've gotten a couple pieces of fan art, um, not many. Um, there's a young uh, young lady in Australia who sent me two or three pieces, which is really cool. And it's cool too when it's you know like a like a kid, right? She was like 16 or something. Uh, and it's cool to you know it's cool to write for you know to write for kids because that was me, right? Uh, you know, I was I was the kid reading, you know, Tolkien in the back of class, and it's cool to sort of be a part of that process. Uh, but I haven't gotten a lot of stuff. Um, I don't know if I had it the last time we talked, but uh, this is really weird. But I have a, a friend who's a film composer, and we became friends because he started sending me uh, musical compositions based on my books as he'd been reading them. So he's done one for the first two books a piece, which is super neat. Uh, you know, I was actually the first thing I got was a, was a musical composition 
for Empire of Silence. I didn't have any drawings or anything, but That's this guy cool. and he did like um, he does a lot of uh, uh, like Christian movies. He did the uh, Samson sort of sword and sorcery movie that was playing. And, you know, there were trailers for it like last not not last year, but year before last. Like every movie I went to had a trailer for the Samson movie. So he did that. He did um, Gretel and Hansel with uh, the Borg Queen as the witch that was that came out. Uh, and he did some like HBO stuff too. Um, but so is there, is it was it was really cool. Is there um, any way they could listen to it? Yeah. Um, so his name's Will Musser, uh, M U S S E R. But it's on. It's actually both songs are on my uh, YouTube channel. He let me mirror them. Uh, it's uh, youtube.com slash sun eater books. Uh, both of them are up there, which is, it, it was, it was really, you know, random, I guess is what the kids might say or used to say. Uh, you know, I was expecting maybe someone would draw, you know, a scribble, but I got, I got music, which was cool. And we that will link cool. that in the show notes then. So you can go check out his marvelous YouTube page. Yeah. Well, thank you. Heck Yeah. Has anyone uh, asked you for your autograph out in public, you know, away from conventions or regular book signing events? Oh, no. Uh, the the furthest from my actual book signing I got was halfway across a convention floor, and someone stopped me. This was actually last month here at the GalaxyCon in Raleigh, and the guy was like, Mr. Rocchio? I'm like, you are taller than me. Don't don't say Mr. Rocchio. Uh, it's <laughs> weird. Um, and, uh, and so it wasn't, you know, my, my – I wasn't in line or anything, so to be picked out of a crowd is sort of strange. But I was still at the show where they knew I was. Um, yeah. But I'll still take it. Um, oh, that counts. That totally counts. The closest yeah. I had was was Nick asked me for my autograph, and then he wanted me to come to talk to a judge because the judge wanted my autograph. Is really weird how that works, but you know, <laughs> it wasn't your autograph. I was being a process server. <laughs> and you were served. I don't know how many times we've got to go through this, Jr. That was for that was for the liquor store you didn't rob there, Jr. Right, right, right. I, see, I thought they were just super fans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I didn't even know people knew what I looked like. I, I'm never on camera. <laughs> He's just walking around with the the cartoon stapled to his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you could get like a mask made of that. That would be pretty cool. I might actually do that. Uh, I think you can. We had these vacuum form masks for one of Larry Correa's books that we did for uh, one of his signing tours. So um, I, I'm sure you could get it done. Of course, we offline that might be something fun to play with. We but, made uh, like uh, we made like four thousand of them though, <laughs> but I don't know about yeah, making you gotta them do in bulk. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, you should they, do they them get, in bulk. They get pricey for the one and two offs. It's yeah, but if you get like the four thousand count. Because I've I've looked into making masks for some of my characters, um, and three D printing gets expensive. I, I mean, no one's going to buy it for like a hundred bucks a mask. So, fair yeah. enough. Fair. But uh, right. it's possible. It really matters. Ranger Nick, you got you to get it mass produced. Uh, ever spot someone reading one of your books out in the wild? Uh, I actually did. Uh, I was uh, I was in Powell's in Portland, the big one, and uh, they were taking us up to so. Uh, you know, it was in a bookstore, so it was it was easy hunting. But they were taking us up to the sci-fi section so we could sign the stock they had. And there was a guy looking at it, and I just sort of like hovered over his shoulder, and was like, "It's pretty good." <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, really?" I didn't even tell him who I was. That was just funny. Um, Not a bad read. Author's pretty yes, cool. Yeah. No, you should get it. It's good. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was still fun. That's awesome. You could do what some of the other sci-fi writers do when they see people reading their book. Oh, that's, that guy's a jerk. I wouldn't read his books. Larry Korea tells us he does that when he sees people reading his stuff. 
Yeah, I can I can see that working for Larry. <laughs> it helps that he's like twelve foot tall and <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. sells a billion copies. But so oh, um, the the last question, and then this is really gonna make Seska cry because she loves these questions. But have you had any weird or funny interactions with fans since you started writing? Obviously, um, none's coming to mind right now. I'm sure there's one, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Fair enough. Then we will yeah. move on and fill the awkward silence <laughs> as we stare at. I'm sorry. Mustache of Nick. There's got to be something, but. So uh, this is where we talk about everything that Christopher Rocchio has written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest version of your body of work? All right. So, so far, with the exception of the comic story that we're getting to, everything I've written has been part of one universe kind of connected to one series. That's the Sun Eater. It's a uh, science fantasy kind of space opera, 20,000 years in our future. My main character, I like to say, is like Anakin Skywalker. If Anakin's becoming Darth Vader were the best thing he could have done under the circumstances. Uh, He's a nobleman. He runs away from home and he gets stuck in the middle of a war between the human empire uh, which he was a nobleman in, and these aliens called the Sielsen, who were the first aliens who've ever really menaced uh, humanity, uh, really, really posed a threat to it in all that time. It's written like a memoir. Page one, he tells you he's a man who ended the war and dealt with the aliens' stories, why and how, and about all the things the official story won't tell you. Uh, so Empire Silence is the first book. Uh, there are two more, uh, Howling Dark, Demon in White. Uh, book four is coming out in March next year. That's Kingdoms of Death. Uh, there's a spinoff I did called The Lesser Devil you can find on Amazon uh, or on Audible. They're all on Audible, and I've done a bunch of short stories, too. Okay. Those all sound fascinating. Uh, why don't we talk about your super secret project that you just recently announced? How did this happen? Uh, so this is uh, this is really fun because uh, uh, speaking of GalaxyCon, I think it was 2019, I was getting ready to go in, and I got an email uh, that says, hey, I uh, just read Empire of Silence, and I loved it, and uh, I saw you live in Raleigh. I happen to be in Raleigh for GalaxyCon. You're not there uh, by any chance, are you? Uh, signed, Steve McNiven. And I didn't. it didn't occur to me that he was, you know, the Steve McNiven, right, the guy who drew Civil War and Old Man Logan. So I was like, yeah, you know, where are you? And he's like, oh, I, uh, you know, I've got a booth there. Uh, <laughs> I draw for Marvel Comics, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so I uh, I go in and I go find his booth, which I'd, I'd done my walk around the day before, right? Because I think it's day two. And I go find him, and uh, he's there signing. He's got like two or three people in line. It's early. And uh, he sees me stand on the side. I guess he recognized my picture from the book or something. And he points at me, and he's like, are you? And I'm like, yeah, hi. Um, and he gets up, and he leaves his line. He's like, he signs for the last guy, and he's like, you take this. Don't worry about the charge. And we walk off and talk for like half an hour or something. Uh, it turns out he's like a big old school sci-fi fan, you know, Frank Herbert, uh, Zelazny, uh, Purnell, Niven, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and he just loved the book and it was very weird. Cause it's like, you know, it should be the other way around. It should be me doing the, like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, cause he's this big legend. Right. And, and, and he's, you know, uh, excited about what I did. And he asked me if I'd ever thought about writing for comics, and I told him, honestly, uh, you know, no, I didn't, because I, I figured trying to figure out how to get into traditional publishing was hard enough. I wasn't going to try and figure out any of the secret passwords to, you know, these other industries. And it turns out the secret password is just uh, him saying, well, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, send you an email. And um, so I got an email from him, uh, I think, like, later that week. Uh, it was really fast. 
and uh, got me talking to the folks at Marvel, and uh, we uh, we're gonna do a story. Uh, and it's been sort of a couple of years, you know, in the works. Uh, you know, uh, comics like traditional publishing is pretty slow. Um, but I uh, did a did a one shot sort of uh, alternate universe Thor story, just a classic kind of thing. And it's going in the back of uh, Avengers 750, uh, the Jason Aaron, uh, you know, run. He's been doing a big run with the Avengers for the last couple of years, I think. Uh, it's not connected to his story in any way. It's totally standalone. But uh, I just got there by being friends with Steve. So it's it's a uh, very uh, kind of a surreal thing. So. So whoever got that free copy of whatever he signed because he wanted to talk to you, you're welcome. Yeah. And he just wants you to know he appreciates you know, your sacrificing and getting the free merch. <laughs> you know. I'm always happy to help. So yeah, I uh, heard that about you, you know? Yeah. You're just a beautiful guy. Yeah, it's you know, all those years of, of uh being the the bane minion. <laughs> so uh first you, we uh we know it's in the Avengers, but what's the individual story gonna title gonna be? Uh, so it's called the Two Worthies, um, which is kind of a riff on uh, talking about Gawain and the Green Knight earlier. Uh, there was sort of a, a medieval uh, superhero team, pop culture superhero team in the Middle Ages called the Nine Worthies, and they were sort of examples of heroic virtue, right? Um, because of course, you know, Middle Ages, a popular culture in the Middle Ages is very religious, right? And so they were. Um, it was Hector and Alexander and Julius Caesar. And um, uh, who were the, the uh, there were three Jews. It was Joshua and Judah the Maccabee and, oh, crap, David. And then it was uh, Arthur and Charlemagne and Godfrey de Bouillon. So this was this weird uh, sort of uh, collection of moral examples. And, of course, Thor is all about worthiness. So uh, who the other one may be, uh, I leave up to you. Uh, to find out when you read the story but uh you know uh it i wanted to sort of do something about that something about you know thor's worthiness and and that because that's the sort of essential part of his character right is what does that mean uh and so i just wanted to do a very classic thor story uh very straightforward i only had 10 pages right because it's just a short story um but uh, it was really fun to get to work with a character that i kind of grown up with on and off i've never been uh, like the most avid like comic book store going comics fan, but I've read a lot of the like benchmark pieces, right? I've read Civil War, I've read Old Man Logan, I've read like Watchmen and and uh, V for Vendetta, like a lot of the Alan Moore stuff and a lot of the Frank Miller stuff. Um, and um, I was a big bat, and I still am a big Batman fan, which I know is probably a four letter word, uh, having written a Marvel story, but uh, you know that was my dad's favorite superhero. It is my dad's favorite superhero, and so I uh, I grew up with I grew up mostly with Batman. That and Star Wars, I was allowed uh, that Star Wars and TV Land, but like nothing that my friends were watching uh, besides Star Wars. <laughs> so okay, um, yeah. So that short story that you wrote, as you know, so your prove you had the the chops for it. They're going to convert that, as I understand, into the comic. But uh, is the short story itself going to ever see the light of day, or will that stay? In oh no, no, I wrote it uh, as a comic script. So that was the cool thing. Uh, I sort of got the Marvel, uh, you know, uh, Marvel method crash course right on how how they write scripts and learned how to do all of that. Um, and they gave me pretty wide latitude to write basically whatever story I wanted. You know, I, I gave them some ideas, and they picked the one. Uh, 
they gave me a choice, right? Like Pokemon style, do you want uh, Iron Man, Captain America, or Thor? Uh, and we went with Thor, uh, and I gave them a couple ideas, and and we winnowed it down. But they didn't give me a lot of uh, a lot of rules about what I could or couldn't do, which was really cool. Um, and so, because it's just like for this little special place, right? Uh, and the cool thing, I, and I think the reason they picked Thor is because I don't believe that Steve McNiven's ever done a Thor story. He's done a lot of covers with Thor in it, but never a uh, actual uh, story. So I think the the main thrust here was to get um, was to get Steve to do a Thor story, and so um, so I got to do that, which is really really cool. So awesome. we normally don't talk about the writing side of things because this is not a how to be a writer podcast. We like to thank our audience or other readers and nerds just like us. But as someone who's looked at comics and graphic novels and, and all of the things, right, I have been curious just from a consumer side, because I, I don't know that I'd ever want to try to write that. That would break my brain trying to trying to do that. Like, what is the process for you? Do you get the pictures and the, and the images first, and then you write the script? Do you write the script where it's like, this is the dialogue, this is the blocking, and you sort of describe what the art's going to be? What did that process look like for you? Yeah, so um, I, I don't get the pictures first. The pictures get drawn off of my directions, which is also kind of surreal, right? Because I'm, I'm the neophyte here writing for the master. But that's that was that was sort of the idea, right, is, is – because when you, because comics are a visual medium, right? It's about the art, and my sense, and this wasn't anything they told me, but my sense was that I mattered a lot less than uh, than the artists, right? And I think that's maybe true of comics generally. Um, and so I got to sort of decide uh, how many panels would be on a page, right? And that's kind of limited by how many actions uh, you need uh, to have happen on a page, right? And how much time you want uh, the reader to spend on that action. So you can't have, uh, say, Thor pick up his hammer and hit something in the same panel, right? You need two panels for that. And so there are some practical limitations on what you can do in the amount of space that you have because you don't want the panels to be this big, right? Um, and you you know, you know want some panels to be you know the whole page and things like that. And, and you kind of – and this is true of, of writing, I think, in any, in any medium, is you have kind of a gut sense of – when you make those decisions, right? You know, like like uh, if you're writing prose, right? You know when you need a one-line paragraph because you really need to land a punch, right, on the reader emotionally. Um, you know, well, maybe I need to start with dialogue on the next one. You just have those sort of gut, you know, feelings, like really micro-level stuff. In the same way when you're writing, you, uh, when, when I was writing the comic script, I thought, well, this should really be a lot bigger, right? And you'll make notes to say, you know, panel three, you know, uh, you know, big, right, or something like that. And you leave a lot of that stuff up to the interpretation of the artist because it's really their show, right? And you're giving them those stage notes. But um, it was down to me to figure out, um, you know, the dialogue, right, in the story and if there are any captions on things like that. And it was weirdly comforting because the only uh, bit of my actual work that you would see and credit to me is the dialogue, right? So most of my writing going into like describing what things look like, uh, and I was like providing some photo references for certain like uh, things in it too, right? Uh, I won't be more specific, but uh, most of that stuff just disappears, right? Because it goes into the artwork. And the artist, of course, might realize, well, the way you block this, like maybe I would draw it differently. And then you sort of trust uh, the process, trust the artist to 
uh, in, in this case, you know, I, I'm working with like the literal best, right? So, uh, you know, no, I, I have no reason to fear. And he, any, there are a couple times where he'd take one of my panels and make two or something like that, and that's totally fine. Um, and that's because, you know, in the same way, he's drawing, right? And he's got a lot of these subconscious, uh, you know, instincts about, well, maybe, maybe the way that you said this should actually be more like this. What do you think? And we went back and forth a little bit too, which was really fun. Uh, but at the end of the day, the only bit of my work you ever see is, is like 10% of what I actually put down because all of the like, uh, physical description of like setting and stuff just turns into pictures and my work vanishes. Right. Um, and so you, you break things down by page and then by frame, right. And then you put the dialogue in. And if you want the dialogue to loop between, uh, between frames or ways to tag the dialogue in the script for that. And so when the letterer comes along, they'll know what to do. Um, so there's a, you know, little technical stuff, but I, it was fun. I, you know, I, I, I think I wrote it in like three days, uh, and that was cause I was taking it real slow. Um, you know, cause it's just 10 pages and most of my writing isn't, you know, visible. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge, huge, uh, undertaking from like a, uh, actual writing standpoint, but there was a lot of learning that went into it too. Uh, cause I was kind of learning as I went. So Yeah. That's that's totally the process too. Um, comic books is a symphony, so you got the writer who's the the script writer, like if you were making a movie, and then cinema photographer and the director is the artist, and it should always be a dialogue between you two, and that's awesome that that's how it is that high up. Yeah, no, I, I had a blast. Uh, I have no idea if this is going to be the only thing I do or if uh, you know there's going to be more coming, but it was it was real fun. Well, in the short conversation, I do have a comic story that needs a writer that we can talk about later because it seems like you have some vested interest in the genre and ethereum legend i think i have a project for you if i can afford you that's right up your alley no we'll talk (laughs) so you've said you don't know what happens as far as your contract with marvel whether there's more whether that was a one-off but would you want to do more which is not something you you've addressed is it something you'd be interested in Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I think I think it'd be fun. It's not something I want to do, you know, for I think my whole career, because I still like I, I'm still a book guy. Right. And I will always be a book guy. Uh, but it was it was fun. Right. And I would like to do more of it. You know, I'll see where it goes. OK, that, yeah, that's absolutely. cool. So we'll circle back to the story of the two worthies more specifically. And you, you listed some of the characters that you use as your inspiration. So what is it about all those characters that you've talked about that you like so much? Talking about the the uh, the nine worthies, the the medieval characters and stuff like that, or yes. uh, uh, well, I like a lot of them just because people don't think about the Middle Ages as having like a pop culture, right? But it totally did. Like there were people, uh, you know, and they uh, they told stories. Um, but and and Arthur is sort of the like most famous example of sort of medieval pop culture. Like that was. Uh, you know, he probably didn't really exist, right? Or if he did, it was nothing at all like the story, right? Um, and and when you imagine Arthur and you imagine, you know, like the knights in full suits of plate armor and, and things like that, that didn't exist in 500 AD, right? <laughs> like, um, you know, the Arthurian Camelot that everyone imagines is like a thousand years uh, too late, right? <laughs> like it just doesn't uh, or too, yeah, too early, depending on how you how you reckon. It's just not how it how it really happened because uh, things like we're talking about Gawain and all this stuff that was all written in like the 1300s, uh, 1500s even. 
and there are earlier versions of stuff like this and so maybe there's some like uh some historical stuff but i, I am a big history guy and so looking at like weird things like that because um uh people don't really look at stuff like that anymore um a lot of and this is maybe especially true of modern fantasy literature is just built on earlier fantasy literature and you can totally do that and the sun eater has got a lot of dune it's got a lot of star wars in it so i'm, I'm by no means pointing fingers uh, at anyone in particular or saying i'm special uh, but to get back in touch with the real world and history and myth, right? And that's one of the cool things about Thor too, right? Is that for a lot of people, uh, Norse mythology only really exists for them in the form of Marvel comics, um, which is a really strange situation to be in, right? Because they're they don't really line up with the myths in a lot of ways, right? Um, and, and talking about worthiness too, what makes Thor worthy in the eyes of a modern audience is not what would make Thor worthy in the eyes of a, a like a fifth century Viking, right, or a, a seventh century Viking. Uh, a little early there with when I say fifth century. Um, and, and so that's a really interesting thing because because the the Marvel comics are are quite different than the original source material if anybody's you know actually read uh one of the edas right or the or you know the the prose sagas and things like that um and to sort of uh bring some of that stuff into uh the comic book right and i won't again i can't i won't go into too much detail about what it is because 10 pages if i say anything i ruin the whole thing um it was fun right and, and to look at that sort of thing and to try and bring some of that into it as well was really cool before you ask the next question, Nick, I have a question for you. So, since I've only read a limited number and off record, or before we started, Rocky said he's read a lot, but not as much as you. So, what's a normal size for a comic book? Is 10 normal or is that a small one or what? 10 pages? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's like a mini book, or sometimes it's referred to as like an ash can. And usually, though, I mean, it. Uh, but when you get into like the big two or I guess big three, you could call it, you know, include image in there, um, a 10 page story, they'll throw in the back of a, uh, a continuation story or a serialized story, um, which used to confuse me as a kid. Cause I'd get like that 32 page, your standard comic book size is roughly around 22 pages, maybe a little bit more. Um, but I would get these 32 page comics and I'd be reading it. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm reading about daredevil. And then boom, there's like this 10 page story or five page story in the back. I was about a totally different character. I'm like, and my brain as a child was like, there's no cover. I have, I had no idea. I just went into another story. Yeah, um, but that was always tough on me too. They, um, they've changed that um, recent, not recently, but over the years, they've like, okay, they'll put some sort of divider in there so you know. But um, yeah, so that's that's how this one's uh, gonna be. It's it's a backup. It's at the end. I think the I think they were saying that the this big issue because it's the 750th issue of Avengers, right? Like number one, yeah. Stan Lee, 1960 something. I can't remember. 1963. 63. Yeah. 63, 63 65, 64. somewhere around there. Anyway, um, and uh, so this is a big deal, right? I think it's 96 pages, and like the last 11 are me. Um, so it's a uh, it's a big one, right? It's practically a practically a graphic novel, um, but uh, that's going to be really cool. And it's really cool too to be a part of you know this big landmark sort of moment, right? Because because the Avengers are like a big piece of American culture at this point, right? I have this whole spiel, right? Because people like to point and say that like George Martin's the American Tolkien, but it's clearly Stan Lee, right? Because 
the novel is a very British thing, right? It's, you know, the modern novel is a very British invention uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, not purely, but the comic book is American in the same way. So why would America's Tolkien be uh, a novelist, right? Um, you know, and, and so it's cool to be a part of that, just even for a little bit. It's everything that Stan Lee has brought to the table is just kind of molded pop culture, even to today, you know, and it's great that the, the Avengers started getting popular. Uh, I mean, outside of hardcore comic geeks like myself, like around when Iron Man came out in 2008, Eight, I mean, yeah. kinda, we all years. knew that something was building, um, especially that, that end credit scene. Cause someone told me about, it. I'm like, there's an end credit scene with, what? So I had to rush right back to the theater, sit through Iron Man again, which is what was a treat. And then wait through the credits, just like, come on, hurry up. What's this end credit scene? They wouldn't spoil it for me, but I got to see what it is. And then it's Nick Fury. And I'm like, okay, the Avengers are coming. Hopefully this happens. And boom, here we are. We've had this awesome, amazing storytelling experience with 25 movies, you know, and what were considered B-list characters up until that point are now huge stars and people love them. And it's just, it's phenomenal. And Thor's one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I'm still flabbergasted they pulled it off, right? Just from like a logistical standpoint. You know, every movie is is a billion moving pieces and to get them all to sort of pull in one direction like this. And so consistently, you know, there have been a few that weren't quite as good as the others. But, right. uh, you know, to get it all uh, done the way they have has been a real a real triumph, I think. Yeah, and getting a comic book together is same thing at a smaller scale, and they treated it, and I didn't think it was going to work, like you said. It's like, I didn't think it was going to work. They were going to try and serialize movies the way they do comic books, with they're all interconnected. Hey, if you want more information, you need to go check out um, Amazing Fantasy 17 or whatever, you know, and you have to go follow that story through these. And it, it made the grocery clerk at the Long's Drugs when I was growing up, but I had the spinner rack, very frustrated with me because I was in there every week. Hey man, you got this issue, you got this issue. It's like, dude, I don't even know. <laughs> so so uh, I'm gonna leak, we, since we rebranded as the Blasters and Blades, we do not spend hours upon hours with everything we referenced as a show note. You can follow the link and buy. That's just time we don't have. But I will say yeah. for the first time since we rebranded, I will link to the site on Marvel's website where you can buy for $1.99 US, the digital copy of Avengers episode one. And you can see history as it was made since it's sort of germane to this. I thought, thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I didn't, I had a trust issue and I didn't trust Nick when he said it was 1963. So I Googled it and sure enough, it was 1963. I, I probably owe that guy a beer, but that's where I found the link. Holla at your boy. <laughs> Super nerd. But um, all right, back to Thor, Nick. Next question is you. Oh man, I just... Oh, crap. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I got to go through the show notes. Uh, do you have a favorite version of Thor? Uh, I don't particularly, but what I wanted to do with the story uh, was sort of go back to his to his roots and right, do the uh, and do the original sort of look, right, in the original, just sort of classic uh, Stan Lee Thor, right? Um, yeah, and get back to, get back, just get back to the roots, right, back to basics. So it's not, like I said, it's not part of continuity or anything. It's just sort of a Sort of a archetype, a archetypal Thor, if you will. So was that going to be wearing the yellow boots? Um, no, oh. no, skip the yellow boots. Darn it! 
So, so is this uh, – was it your choice? I said too much. I'm going to get killed. Um, is it you, your choice that it was a standalone sort of not connected to anything or was that always um, – No, that was that was part of the plan. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm starting to worry I'm, I, that it might be something I can't say too much about but because uh, there's a little little backstory there. But it, uh, it was always going to be its own thing. Nice. Okay. So, which is the version with the yellow boots? Because I grew up with the one with him in the the um, the blue boots. Uh, I get they found even an image of the yeah, action figure since his first appearance in um, Journey into Mystery. Uh, he had yellow boots, and it kind of looks like tiger stripes with the black markings, but those are supposed to be like leg wraps around the boots. And then he had like they were knee high. No, no, get that off of there. That's horrible. Oh, that's, that's just what I remember. That's, that's just the worst. No, he had, uh, yeah, like, and he had these knee flaps that went up too. You never seen what a classic Thor looks like? Oh, you got, I'm sure you have it ready, don't you? You're going to show us all what, what a super comic expert you are. No, I, I don't need to show that. But, <laughs> but I can show, yeah, here we go. Hold on, let me, this, right. this, and, oh, man wife's gonna kill me i'm on for too long that's okay it's comics you brought me a comic book writer i mean this was bound to happen why is my computer running so slow this is ridiculous i don't know just blame russia we all do it uh china russia i mean could be i can share my screen from here <laughs> Woo. all right, all right. so uh, no, well okay do i do i have it here we go all right, let me click share. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that. That's too. classic. I'd forgotten that. Dude, dude's jacked. Like, I don't even know. Oh, if he's yoked. More like that. I'd, I'd be curious to see someone who's like studies biophysiology and all that. Look at some of these classic iconic comics and be like, could that guy actually move? <laughs> well, to be fair, Vincent D'Onfrio played Thor once. And adventures okay. in babysitting. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> Did you watch that one, Rocky? No. No, I just wasn't prepared for the phrase adventures in babysitting. Um, I had sisters. What are you going to do? It had Elizabeth Shue in it, like, and childhood crush. So I, I was all in. And then they're like, hey, there's a Thor reference in there. So, of course, yeah, here's my money. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, mine it was back when the the parents uh, the rents did their their date night and they would get Little Caesars pizza when it came in the square, weird shape, and they were like, "Here's a pizza, here's a movie, don't get blood on the carpet," and then they'd go, "Yeah, <laughs> don't burn down the house," is what my parents told me. Don't burn down the yeah. house. So my sister, my little sister, is a tomboy, so we would sometimes get into some fisticuffs. So that was my my mom's rule: was just don't get blood on the carpet. So if we were gonna fight, we had to go out back. <laughs> That was back before the neighbors were all nosy busybodies and would call the cops on you. So it's a different world. Oh, yeah. Totally yeah. Different. A world with laser discs and Polaroid cameras. <sighs> yes. <laughs> By time machine, I'm going back to that world. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be like all right. on uh, independent. Was it the, in the, the asteroid movie where he's like, what do you want to go save the world for this asteroid? And he's like, I want eight tracks to come back. <laughs> oh, um, Armageddon. Armageddon. Yes. That would yeah. be Nick. He'd be like, yes, I want this. Yeah, oh, we just tell the president their wish list if they pulled it off. Yeah. 
That was awesome. All right, get us back on track, Nick. Talk comics. All right, brother. Here we go. Um, you mentioned Batman being a favorite superhero of yours. Do you have any other favorite superheroes? Uh, so recently, like last few years, I became kind of a Daredevil guy, and that was I, I will credit the Netflix show getting me started on that. Um, but I wore uh, the right hat then. No, there you go. Um, but it, it, I, I'm also I, I'm an, I'm not an Irish Catholic, but I'm an Italian Catholic, so it was very close to home, uh, and um, and so I uh, sort of gotten on that train. Daredevil is obviously he's great. Um, uh, switching back to the DC camp for a second, Superman is still Superman, um, but uh, you know Thor goes on the list, and I'm a big Iron Man guy, and, and that's down to the movies too. I because uh, we're talking about sort of all the normies coming in, you know, when Iron Man came out in, in theaters. And I was one of those normies because I wasn't, uh, I mean, I was, I was in high school, but uh, you know, so I maybe came by it honestly, but, <laughs> um, but I, I got on the sort of the train there and, and uh, sort of got into, so I almost picked Iron Man when they gave me, gave me my options. Right. But I, I went, we went with Thor instead. Uh, I think again, cause you know, Steve never, uh, if I'm right, Steve had never done a Thor story all the way through, but I almost, I almost went Iron Man. So, so yeah. if you had a chance to do another comic with Steve as well, and you could pick someone other than Thor, would Iron Man be your next one? Um, I, it, it, given, given my druthers, maybe, or, uh, or I, I wasn't allowed to choose Daredevil. It wasn't, uh, wasn't one of the options I was given. So, uh, that'd be fun too. You never know. Uh, or more Thor would be great too. We'll, you know, we'll see. Um, All right. Well, since since he's our comic book expert and super nerd with this, Nick, what uh, what would you take if you could draw any established property? I mean, obviously you would draw your own stuff, which is awesome. Apogee Comics, check it out, people. But if you weren't drawing for Apogee, I hear your boss is a real jerk, so we don't want to get you in trouble. But if you weren't drawing for them, who who would you like to like? What property? Like, if I could oh, just take Daredevil, one. hands down. Yeah, Old Hornhead. Yeah. Is it because he's Catholic? Is that was that what? Oh, uh, that. Well, you can bring up the the old. Um, archive footage of when you guys interviewed me of why I fell in love with that character. But yeah, it was, a, I'm an Irish Catholic kid. Awesome. Uh, was raised Irish Catholic. It was great to see my, my religion, things that I grew up with kind of, you know, you know, represented in a comic book. Um, the fact that he's blind, love that. Never seen that before in a comic book. When I picked up Daredevil, I'm like, man, how, if he's blind, how's he doing all this? And it's all echolocation, just all kinds of stuff. Started reading more into it, got into Frank Miller stuff, fell in love with the character even more. If I ever could draw for Marvel, and it was Daredevil, I I would I would do backflips, and I'd probably break my neck doing it. But as long as I had <laughs> my right arm still functioning, I would draw the hell out of that book. Pun intended. I wasn't going to go there. I was going to behave. But uh, since you did for me, uh, it all works out. The title in there somewhere about drawing the hell, yeah, yeah, drawing the hell out of it, yeah. If they ever do a documentary, me if I ever get a Daredevil run, which would be awesome, if they'd make a documentary out of it, that would be that would be the title, draw the hell out of it. That'd be so. So, so I'm gonna ask you both if you were gonna write a story about the villain as the main character, we'll start with you, Rocky, because you're our guest. Who is your favorite villain? Um, oh, geez, uh, like in all the comic books, yeah. That's a tough one. Um, for uh, going back to my Batman roots, uh, 
you know, I'm not going to say the Joker, uh, but uh, I, I'm kind of a Riddler guy. And I think that there's, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of space that could be still worked on there. Cause he's been kind of played off as silly. Uh, it looks like the new, uh, the new movie is going to kind of make him as creepy and terrifying as he could be. But I, I think there's still a lot of uh, fertile ground there to work with the Riddler. Um, I don't know about Marvel though. Uh, I like Doc Ock a lot, but I think that's down to, uh, that might be recency bias. Cause I'm pretty excited about the new Spider-Man oh, trailer. Wasn't that great. Uh, that was, and, and Alfred Molina's, you know, he's, he's just one of the best. Uh, so I, I'm, that might be recency bias talking, but I think that'd be fun. I know that's been done a lot. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll just stay at Doc Ock. That'd be cool. What about you, Nick? Uh, for DC Scarecrow. Um, awesome. I would really like, I'd really like to, to dig in more into to crane. Um, uh, for the Marvel side of the house, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean. Probably Doctor Doom. Oh, I can I change my answer? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, you can totally yeah. change your answer. It's not yeah, the yeah, I'm with you there. That's a <laughs> that's a good choice. D Doom is always an interesting villain, and you can write him in so many ways because he's got a nobility to him. He's got an honor code. Um, really, he doesn't see himself as a villain. I think that's probably one of the things, and they stole that with Thanos in the MCU because Thanos knows he's a villain. He knows he does villainous stuff. You know, Doctor Doom just—he's doing it for the good of his people, or he's doing it for the good of humanity, or whatever. He, whatever he woke up thinking of, you know, that's that's his play, and he's going to see it through. If I was going to do one, I know this is Hasbro, so it might be like sacrilegious to even call this a comic. But back in the day, GI Joe had comics, and, and I like some of the villains. The, Larry Hammer or Hannah Hammer, Hammer, yeah, Destro, and, and all that. I just felt like they were by for the for the cartoons and the comics. They made them so flat. Like there was just no yeah. dimension to those comics, but I think those bad guys had the potential where you could like really make them pop and actually make them fleshed out characters. So, and I don't know oh, what Destro Dest has a huge backstory. You could really have a lot of fun with as a writer. Yeah, they for a while they had uh, um, Amazon had the open world, shared worlds, or whatever, and so there were people writing GI Joe stories. And I thought for for sure we'd start to be able to see more from that universe, and then they locked it all down and. So I'm not sure sure where the IPs go, but yeah, I thought I thought the bad guys on on GI Joe had potential. Uh, is GI Joe back with Marvel, or are they still at IDW? I don't know, but, but well, right. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, we, <laughs> About... we, uh, we we're at the hour mark, and it's midnight because we recorded late because someone has a day job and lives on the um, West Coast. So I'm essentially uh, Batman. Yeah. Yes, you are. You are without the money. Without the money. Well, I without the money. It, so okay, so that um, make me Moon Knight, poor man's Batman. <laughs> yeah yeah that works so uh as this was winding down was there anything you wanted to tell us about the two worthies and your thor adventure story before we move on uh i think the only thing uh that i should say that we haven't is that it comes out on uh, november 17th um so we've got a little time before it for it uh you know remember that date long. loyal listeners remember that date. so let me ask you this is it going to be a available digitally as well so uh, i believe so um you know i i i'm sort of new to the whole marvel game but i believe that uh, new releases go on comiXology and so on so i uh, check it out there and uh you know at comic book stores or maybe you got a cool grocery store um uh, but 
Uh, right. I don't. Not over yeah. here. We no. just have Walmart and Kroger. But so what we'll do is we'll ask you to remember us because you like us because we're awesome. And Seska has blackmail material on you, I'm told. But uh, if you could post it in the Facebook group for us when, when it comes out, a link to it, that would be sure, sure. most helpful. I will All do right. that. I got it written down. I'm going to be at the comic book shop that day. Awesome. Well, I, I hope you like it. For them to open. Like, true story. Oh, yeah. And then I'm going to mail it to you with return postage so you can I can get a signature on that bad boy. Square deal. Let's do it. Awesome. Outstanding. All right. Chris, how can listeners find you? And as usual, dear listener and viewer, it will be in the show notes. But how can listeners find you? So my website is uh, solanempire.com. That's S-O-L-L-A-N empire.com. It's for the Sun Eater stuff. Uh, but the best place really to find me is uh, these days is on YouTube at the youtube.com slash Books. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I don't know when this is airing, but I'm doing a live stream uh, Thursday this week. Uh, so we recorded this. It's officially midnight on Wednesday. As soon as this downloads, I will be uploading it. So it will be available sometime on Wednesday the 25th. So it will okay. be available. So if you are listening to this on the day it launches, the next day, you've got this awesome Twitch channel thing going on. YouTube, uh, YouTube. Oh, YouTube. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Twitch. Not on Twitch, thing, but thing, YouTube, right? you potato. I am a potato. All right. So you can cartoon vacuum formed mask. <laughs> That's right. Our website is www. I'm lying. You don't need to www. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. See, I'm old enough. I remember with the World Wide Web, like you had to put that for everything. It was a joke, but nobody laughed. So we'll move on. Anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. We're on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. It's almost like the SF is for sci-fi, but sh- don't, don't let that get out. We have an email which I promise we uh, we check. We'd like more than two letters to come actual to that address. So if you can help us out, uh, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com and the aforementioned Facebook group, facebook.com backslash groups with an S backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can support the show for as little as 99 cents at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. And I will keep my co-hosts, Nick Garber and Doc Seska, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders if you throw that support our way. Uh, This is where Doc would normally say, never quit, never surrender. And she would quote Galaxy Quest, the greatest movie of all times. Uh, You could also support us on our website, Blasters and Blades, uh, over on Anchor FM. They have a Patreon-type model where you can do a reoccurring purchase if you'd like. But uh, anyway, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time. We'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.